we are in the middle of the series of Ephesians, and the first half of the book is an explanation of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that because of Christ's life and death on the cross and his resurrection, we now have life in Jesus Christ. We are we have life in God. And the second half of Ephesians, he, he, he lists out what it looks like to bring Christ into all of life. How the gospel affects everything in our lives, including our marriage. And then in the passage that we're looking at today, he talks about what a, what a spirit-filled Christian looks like. One who testifies through singing, both in public and in private. And one who is always giving thanks to God for all that he has done. As well as Christians are ones who are to be submitting to the authorities that God has put over them. Last week we looked at wives and their role in marriage and how the gospel affects the wives' role in marriage. This week we're going to look at how the gospel affects husbands' roles in marriage. And I have to confess to you that this is a very challenging sermon to prepare because it's hard to prepare a sermon when you're constantly getting defensive and then repenting and then trying to study the notes all at the same time. But this is God's word and it is good and it is helpful and is applicable. If you're here today and you are a husband, uh, this is directed at you. If you are maybe a widow uh, or a widower, uh, you have this to help instruct those that maybe are still headed towards marriage or in marriage. If you are a young gentleman, uh, this is for you as you look at what it means to be a husband as Christ calls us to be. And if you are a single girl, This is the husband that you should look for as you look for one who would fit you. Not one who is maybe the one that that most sweeps you off your feet or is the most good looking of them all. But the one who reflects the characteristics that Paul tells husbands to reflect. And so that's what we're going to read today. Let's look at Ephesians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 18 and read through the end of the chapter. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot, or wrinkle, or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, 
Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Let's pray. God, as we come to your holy, inerrant, profitable, true word, pray that you would guard us against defensive hearts that want to justify our laziness or our sin, but that you would create hearts that are open to your correction and to lead us in the way everlasting, to lead us in the way of the gospel in our marriage. Pray that as this penetrates our hearts, that we would understand God's love for us in Christ, and that would enable us to love each other as you have commanded here today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 23 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is head of the church. What does that mean? What does it mean that the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church? If you were not here last week, we talked about the wife's role uh, in, in the marriage and her role to submit to her husband and how controversial that is in today's society, but how beautiful it is. Part of the, the difficulty of preaching that sermon is I only got to preach half of it, only half the gospel dance, only the, the half of the woman, but, but today we get to look at the husband's role in the gospel dance of marriage and it calls him to headship it gives him headship what does headship mean well you know we use this term head and even in today's society like we might call someone the headmaster of a school right um mike mccarthy he is what coach he's the head coach right he's not just a coach he's the head coach uh the packers hired mike mccarthy in 2006 uh, as the head coach and the reason why they hired him is the same reason every team hires a head coach. It is to nourish that team, to teach that team, to lead that team to glory. McCarthy did that through many different ways. Uh, he, he first revamped the offense, and then he brought in Dom Capers to revamp the defense. But he was the head of the team, and the buck stopped with him to a certain extent. He did have someone to answer to, which in Green Bay is all of us, right? The shareholders. But he was put in authority. He was put as the head coach to lead that team. And he was responsible for that team. The Bible gives a very similar view of headship. If you'd flip back just a few pages to Ephesians chapter 1, um, just four chapters earlier, in verse 21, read along with me. Ephesians 1, 21, it says, God is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And then here it is, headship. And God put all things under Christ's feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body. And so the father put Jesus as head over his church to nourish it, to teach it, to care for it, and to love for it. And so to come up with a definition of headship is somewhat difficult, but this is what I have, a, a working definition for us to work, work with. And maybe head would be the right term. But headship is one who has been given authority by God for God's glory and the other's good. Let me read it one more time. Headship is one who has been given authority by God for God's glory and the other's good. Good. And the husband is called to be head of the family. What does it mean that the husband is called 
to be head of the family. You know, it's, it's very fascinating because in this, in this little context here of Ephesians chapter 5, really God only gives one command to the husband. And it's not to lead. That's not what he says. He doesn't say, wives submit, husbands lead. He says, wives submit, husbands love. That is the one command. Agape, love your wife. Throughout scripture, it's consistent. The command for the husband is to love his wife in a way that the world has never seen. We are called to agape, love. Jason actually has a t-shirt. And it simply says, I don't know if it's on the front or the back, but it says, love your wife. Is it on the front or back? I love my wife, right? Is that on the front? Okay. I love my wife. And he says when he wears that around, people are always looking at the back to see what the punchline is, right? Like, I love my wife when she's on vacation. Or I love my wife. You know, all those sexist things that we think of, the things that we, we perpetuate in marriage, that I love my wife when she does this or when she does that. But the simple statement of I love my wife, that is exactly what God is calling husbands to do as the head of the family is to love their wives. In one respect, it is so extremely simple, but in the other, it is absolutely impossible, right? You know that if you're a husband, if you're not a husband, it, it seems simple both ways. But once you become a husband, you know, Know that in and of yourself, it is impossible to love your wife as God calls us to. All of us as husbands fail to be the head of our household well, fail to love our wives as God is going to call us to in this passage. You know, this passage has often been used for selfish reasons for husbands to neglect helping around the house, for neglecting their, their wife in many different ways. This passage has been used for men to actually abuse their wives. And it is wicked and evil. But, but what we see here is that man is given a headship, not for his own good, but for the good of his wife, to love her and to serve her. And so what do we learn about love? What does it look like? To love? How does God call us to love? And Paul is going to lay out two analogies here. And these two analogies are the way that men are called to love their wives. First, he says that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. And the second analogy is that husbands are to love their wives as a husband loves his own body. And so those are the things we're going to look at today. But before we launch into that, I just have to explain because it's kind of confusing in this passage. Paul is not just talking about being a husband here. Paul is also talking about Christ and the church. And so even as you read through this, you're sitting there thinking, is he talking about husband and wives or is he talking about Christ and the church? And the answer is usually yes, right? It's, it's both. And he uses Christ and the church to explain husbands and wives. And he uses husbands and wives to explain Christ and the church and the relationships between those. And so as we look through this, we see much more than what it means to be husbands, but what it looks like to be the church. And so let's look at the first, that, that husbands should love their wives as Christ loves the church. Look at verse 25 with me. It says it very straightforward. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Let's pause there for a second. The church is not a building. The church is not a building. Uh, it's so funny when I planted Jacob's well, so many people honestly said, so where's your building at? And I'm like, I'm not sure yet. We're going to find out. Right. But they're thinking, OK, if you're planting a church, that means you bought a building. A church is a building. It's not a building. The church is all those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, all who have been saved, all who have been redeemed throughout all of history. 
past, present, and future. And so we are called to love as Christ loves the church. I love this because so many of us have not had good models growing up of how a dad should love his mom, how a husband should love his wife. And so Paul doesn't direct us there. Paul says, that's not your ultimate model. Your ultimate model is how Christ loved the church. And one way that he loved the church is sacrificially. So how did he love it sacrificially? If you continue verse 25, it says he gave himself up for her. He gave himself up for her. What's this mean? What's this mean that he gave himself up for his church? That he gave himself up for you and for me, for his church. That he lives sacrificially. Well, we, we know that Christ has lived from all eternity. And from all eternity, Christ has resided in heaven in a perfect and glorious relationship with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. And for all eternity, he has had the praise and the worship of angels serving him and enjoying him and him enjoying them. And so it's like our best day times a million and we get a shadow of every day of Christ's life, right? That's what it was like for him. And yet he sacrificed all of that as royalty to come to earth, not to be born in a palace, but to be born in a manger among animals. And so he sacrificed the glory of heaven to come to earth. And he traded, he sacrificed the worship and the praise of angels for the slander and the ridicule of men he created. And so he gave great sacrifice in his life, but his ultimate sacrifice came at the cross. I love how this is explained just earlier in the verse. If you look, Ephesians 5, 2, earlier in the chapter, says, and walk in love as, but then look at this part, as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. This is the same phrase used up in verse 25, and it says, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Do you see what this means? This means that Jesus did not only give sacrificially out of love for you and me to the point of death, it means at the point of death, Jesus was the sacrifice out of love for us. He was a sacrifice for our sins to pay for our sins, to pay for them totally and completely. The past, the present, the future sins, all gone at the cross. He not only was sacrificial, he was the sacrifice for our sins. So we see this calling for husbands <laughs> to love their wives as Christ loved the church. It's big, right? It's, it's, it's something that we have only seen at the cross. This is the way that I think wives long to be loved. That's why they turn to Christ. It is an amazing sacrifice. It is a radical calling that he has for us that we should be willing to die sacrificially in life. Surrendering our own agendas, our own selfish motivations to love and serve our wives, but also be willing to lay down our life as Christ has for us. Now, you might be thinking, yes, that sounds very, very good, but you don't know my wife. <laughs> when I get home, my wife is cranky. When I get home, my wife starts nagging me. When I get home, my wife fill in the blank. Here's the thing. Jesus didn't die for good people. Jesus died 
for wretched, selfish, nagging, moody people like you and me. And because Christ, who is holy and perfect, died for you, you certainly, as a sinner, can die for another sinner. Put your agendas aside and love your wife no matter what is going on in her life, no matter what mood she is in that day. That you can lay down your life, lay down your agendas, lay down everything that you want to do for your own personal glory, your own personal enjoyment, to love and serve her. And this is what it is calling us to, to love our wives unconditionally. Now, there are two points out of this that we need to focus on. The first is this, is that husbands cannot add a if to this command to love your wives. He cannot say, I will love my wife if blah, 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 right? I will love my wife if she is very nice to me. I will love my wife if she is in a good mood. I will, I will love my wife if fill in the blank. We can't make this conditional. It is unconditional. To love our wives all the time. Secondly, is this. Is you cannot give this sacrificial love. This agape love. Unless you are a Christian. Because you cannot give what you do not have. You cannot give what you have not experienced. And so unless you have experienced the love of God. You can never love your wife in this way. And so it is so vital to your marriage that if today you do not trust in Christ, that today you trust in Christ. Maybe you've wondered what has been wrong with your marriage. It is that you do not know Christ. You do not know this agape love, that you can love your spouse in the same way. And so for husbands that do trust in Christ, it is vital to be reminded of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus daily so that we can love our wives in the same way way. Before I was a Christian, I remember, and even as a young Christian, uh, I was certain that I never wanted to get married. Um, You know how that turned out. You see my four kids running around. But I was certain I never wanted to get married because girls got annoying, right? That was was my perspective. The, the, The honeymoon wore off of dating, right? You were no longer on cloud nine and girls got annoying, And so I could never imagine myself getting married. I mean, I saw a marriage growing up, and it didn't look like much fun. And so why would I want that? And so i just date girls until they got annoying. And then I would say, it's not you, it's me, right? It's not you, it's me. Sorry, please, you know, move on, blah, blah, blah. But it wasn't until I had experienced the unconditional love of Christ that I finally understood I can be married by God's grace and power working through me, and I have far, far to go. But I can love a wife who is not always Jesus, right? I can love a wife who is sometimes difficult to love because I have been loved by my Savior in that way. And so your relationship with Christ is instrumental to loving your wife. I have, because of the gospel, because of the grace of God, so far, by the grace of God, we have ended the cycle of divorce in my family. Because generations before never knew the love of Christ. But now that I do, it is something that God transforms my heart to love, even when it is so extremely difficult. And so husbands are called to love their wives as Christ loved the church by loving them sacrificially, but also by loving them purposefully. Look in verse 26. It says that he might sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. You see, Jesus not only saves us, Jesus also sanctifies us. What does that mean? 
To sanctify means to set apart from profane things, to dedicate to God, to create inward holiness in a person, to renew them through the gospel, to conform them to the image of Jesus Christ. And so this is what Christ is doing in our lives. He is not only saving us, but he is sanctifying us, growing us into his likeness. And this is the calling of husbands, the calling for leadership in the family to move your wife towards Jesus. And he even gives the means, he even directs us, how do we do that? Right here he says, by washing of water with the word. By washing with water with the word. I I love this because it is kind of like husbanding for dummies. Um, Love your wives and saturate her with the word. Repeat, right? That's what it looks like to be a husband. Page one, love your wives. Page two, Flutter with the word of God. Page three, repeat. It's good news, right? For simple guys like me who can't stand really complicated formulas. We're to wash with the word, which means that the word of God is powerful. It is an instrument for cleansing, for washing us, for preparing us for Christ. Jesus, in praying to the Father, said this in John seventeen fourteen. He says, I have given them your word. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so he says, use your word to sanctify, to cleanse them, to make them more like me. Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 talks about the power of God's word. And this is one reason why preaching God's word is so important to us. It says, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. And so God sends down rain and it is always effective. It always makes the plants grow. And then he continues saying, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is an awesome promise for a preacher, (laughs) but it's an awesome promise promise for a husband that the word will not return void that it will accomplish its purpose not 99 percent of the time but 100 percent of the time it will accomplish its purpose just like the rain doesn't go right back up to heaven the word of god accomplishes its purpose always and so how do we wash our wives with the words and i'll just give you a couple of examples The first is this, very simple. Read the Bible with your wife. Uh, It will be awkward, probably, and it will be difficult, but I think that is a sign that there is an enemy at work who does not want you to do this with your wife. And so read it with your wife. If you have kids, read it together as a family. Uh, You do not have to be a Bible scholar to do this. You can read it and say, um, what do you guys think? How's it look? What, What do you take out of this? Maybe it's bedtime, maybe it's dinner time, maybe it's on Saturdays. But get into the Word with your family. Secondly, bring your wife to where the gospel is proclaimed, where the Word is proclaimed. Bring her to church. Show her this is a priority in your life. That is a priority over fishing, that is a priority over football, that her and you hearing the Word of God is a priority in your life. 
Thirdly, there are many other ways to bring the word, to wash your wife with the water and the word. It could be bringing her to community group where we teach the Bible and we interact with it. It could be even downloading sermons and giving her an MP3 player where she could listen to it. Or maybe she likes music and that really ministers to her soul to give her music that worships God that is true to his word. And so we are to wash our wives with the word. Um, I have a friend who has just become a Christian and his, the girl that he's dating has been a Christian a very, very long time. And one of his fears is that he cannot lead her closer to Jesus uh, because she knows so much more than him. And so he says, you know, I would break up with her before I would lead her away from God. And so I asked him, I said, let me ask you, do you, do you, do you guys ever have spiritual conversations? And he goes, all the time. I'm sitting there, you're doing it, man. You're doing it. You're doing it. You're doing a great job. He's probably doing a better job than I am, to be honest, of having constant spiritual conversations about God's word and what he has done and is doing in our lives. And so we are to wash our wives with the word. Now, why should we do this? Why should we spend the effort and the awkwardness to wash our wives with the word of God? And it says here in verse 27, and we get a glimpse of how much bigger marriage is than our happiness. Look at verse 27 with me. It says, So that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And so he is talking about Christ and the church, but he's also talking about husbands and wives. That we are called To wash our wives with the word, not for our benefit alone, although it is, but to give her to Jesus. That in the end we could say, Jesus, I have prepared her for your enjoyment, for your glory, and so she can enjoy you. Um, A couple years ago, we had a Secret Santa gift exchange with Trisha's family, and I picked her, her brother's card, and maybe there's a picture up here of it, and I made these washer boxes. I don't know, have any of you played washers, like this type of washers? Okay, because it's kind of a Missouri type of game. But I prepared, I, I, I was down in my basement in St. Louis, and I had to cut the wood, and I had to make the plywood, I had to put the, the, the uh, AstroTurf on it, paint the lines, attach the PVC, PVC cup, which is actually the hardest part, to be honest. But paint it, paint the W on it, you know, put the, put the rope on it so you can carry it. And so I did all this work to present it as a gift. I didn't do it to keep it, but to give it as a joy because of my love for her brother, but also my love for Trish. In the same way, we get to present our wives to Jesus when we die. And so if we would put this much work into washer boxes, the question is, how much are you Loving your wife by washing her with the word. We are called to wash our wives with the word so that we can present her to Jesus. So we should love our wives as Christ loved the church, but also we should love our wives as husbands love their own bodies. Look at verse 29. This tells us how we should love our wives. It says, No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. God created all of us to want to eat, right? Even from birth, babies want to eat, right? They want to nourish themselves. And babies are built to even protect themselves. And so, you know, if you're walking down the hall, and this isn't a baby, but if you're walking down the hall and someone throws a ratchet at you, what do you do? You block yourself, right? It comes as, as second nature to you. 
that you would nourish yourself and that you would protect yourself, that you would cherish yourself. And so he calls husbands to do that for their wives in the same way that they do it for their own flesh. And he lists out a couple of ways first. First off, he says, by not hating. This seems pretty obvious, right? If you're called to love your wife, it means you aren't to hate your wife. And so when you get angry, you don't let it fester. You deal with it. You don't let it move into bitterness and then to separation and distance, right? Because then you just become roommates. But you're called to love your wife and not hate her. You're called to nourish her by taking the initiative, taking the initiative to, to wash her with the word, to ask her, how is she doing emotionally, spiritually, physically, seeing how you can serve her and love her by cherishing this is a funny phrase in the Greek. It actually means to keep warm, which is which is kind of fascinating. But the only other time it's used in the New Testament is when Paul is talking about his relationship to the Corinthians. And he says that I have cherished you like a mother cherishes her baby when it's nursing. And so it is a tender love. It is a warm love. And so even as husbands are called to wash their wives in the word of God, you are to do it tenderly and lovingly. You're not to beat them over the head with it. You're not to uh, dump a waterfall on them, but you are to do it generously and lovingly with them. So those are the ways that we are to love wives as our own body. And the question is why? Why would we spend so much effort to do that? Again, it is because husbands and wives are one body. Look at verse 31 with me. It says this, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is an amazing statement. It is not saying that you'll become like one flesh. It is that you will become one flesh in some mysterious and glorious and amazing way. A husband and a wife are one flesh. No matter how they feel towards each other on a given day, they are one Flesh, And then it goes on to say in verse 28, back in 20, excuse me, it says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own body, he who loves his wife loves himself. And because you are one flesh, if you love your wife, you are loving yourself. It's like this. This morning I was shaving, right? And, and I'm looking in the mirror at an image. And as I cut myself, as I cut the image in the mirror, I'm cutting myself because the two... Are one, And so when you say that sharp word to your wife, you're not only hurting her, but you are hurting yourself. Let's move on. Uh, Christ, the other reason why is because Christ and sinners are one body. Not only are wives and husbands one body, but Christ and sinners are one body. Look at verse 29. It says, For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as... Christ does the church because we are members of his body. This is a glorious mystery that Jesus Christ, who knows all of our sin, all of our garbage, all of our baggage, more than we even know ourselves, has decided to make us a part of his body, that we would be united with him. And what Paul is saying is that if Jesus, who's holy and righteous and perfect, unites you to his body and loves you and cherishes you, how much more can you do that with your wife? And so we are, to, we are to love our wives as our own body because Christ loves us as his own body. And wrapping up, I, I had two conclusions. And I didn't know which one to do. 
So I'm going to do both. <laughs> the first is this. The first is, is for the husbands. You may say again, oh, this, this all sounds very good and well. Um, you know, to love my wife as Christ loved the church, to love my wife as I love my own body. But you know what? Tomorrow's Monday. And it's going to get difficult right away because I have my own selfish tendencies because she's not always easy to love. But God gives us great encouragement. First Corinthians 11, 3 says this, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ and the head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. That means that you have a head that you have to answer to, that you are submitting to, to love your wife, to wash her in the word, to cherish her, to delight in her. And we have to answer to that head, Jesus Christ. But you also have a head who loves you, who cherishes you, who sacrificed himself for you, who is there not only to show you how to love your wife, but to empower you. Monday morning, Monday evening, Monday afternoon. And so we have a head that goes with us, that nourishes us to fulfill this impossible mission of loving as Christ loved the church. Second conclusion for couples. Through last week's sermon and this week's sermon, um, hopefully uh, there was not much of this, right? Rib poking. Honey, are you listening? Right? Maybe even in your head or in your heart. Because if this is where your head is at, you have completely missed the gospel dance. The gospel dance is not what your spouse can do for you, but what you can do for your spouse, right? And so you're not called to change them. You're called to change yourself and to be faithful to what God has called you to. Paul says in verse 32, this mystery is profound. And I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. You see, marriage is a gospel dance. It is a view of the church. And in an era where marriage is so broken and so confusing, the Christian marriage is to stand out and be a beacon of light, to be a reflection of the gospel of Jesus Christ, of his love for us, of his sacrificial, nourishing, unending love for us. And so the question is, what gospel are you reflecting? Are you reflecting the true gospel or a different gospel? Because that is what we are to reflect in our marriage. Verse 33 gives us the final summary instructions of this gospel dance of marriage. Paul summarizes it this way. In verse 33, he says, Husbands, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We have covered a lot in two Sundays. Something that should completely transform our marriages to a place where wives who have come up to me after the service last Sunday and said, you know what? I love to submit to my wife, my husband because he loves me so well. He is so amazing. And, and, and husbands who say, I love to love my wife because she respects me and she cares for me and she follows me so well. This is the gospel picture. This is the gospel dance that God has called us to. And I think it's appropriate that we go to prayer to ask for help. Let's do that. Gracious God, as we have studied your plan for marriage and how the gospel affects the roles of wives and husbands, not 
for suppression, but for glory and to promote the husband, to promote the wife, that they would both feel empowered and loved and enjoyed in the church more so than anywhere else on the place of the earth. God, I I pray that you would help us to carry these things out which are impossible apart from your love for us in Christ. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come remembering both the submission of Christ to the Heavenly Father and dying for us, but also His headship in loving and nourishing us to the point of death, we come repentant of our sins, repentant of the ways that we have failed as a husband and as a wife, taking this as a tangible proclamation of the gospel, but also as a way to take in the nutrients nutrients of grace by faith that we can live as God calls us to. In 1 Corinthians 11, we see Paul talking about the Lord's Supper, and he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This table does not belong to Jacob's well. It does not belong to a denomination. This table belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you are here and you trust in Christ for your salvation, come and take and eat and be and drink and be nourished. If you're here today and you do not trust in Christ, or you're uncertain of your relationship with Christ, we'd encourage you to pass this by as the passage goes on and gives sharp warnings against those who would take this apart from faith in Christ. As you take this, remember that Christ is the ultimate head. He is the one who has shown us how to love sacrificially. As we distribute the elements, please hold on to them. Uh, We'll pass the bread first, take it, put it on your knee if you need to, and then we will pass out the grape juice. We will hold and we will take together to, to celebrate our unity in Jesus Christ.